When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar along with pro football focus writer and analyst Eric Eager. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. I have called upon you, Eric, to help me with the bigger meaning and the bigger picture to the Philadelphia Eagles and Minnesota Vikings matchup and to focus on the quarterback. So we'll be doing a purple podcast every week and focusing on different areas of this matchup. So let's start with the bigger picture first about these two quarterbacks, Case Keenum and Nick Foles. It's being said quite a bit and was even asked to Mike Zimmer yesterday about the fact that you have two quarterbacks who were journeymen that end up in the NFC championship game. And if that means that defense still wins championships, Eric, your reaction. I think that would be an overreaction to a a small sample in a pretty weird season to say the least. Okay. Why? Well, you know, so we, so last season, for example, we had Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers is like, I think in the top four in our quarterback grades. And I think they, played a combined, you know, six and a half games this season. And so you don't see, for example, you know, in the AFC South, you don't see Andrew Luck competing for that division and what was kind of a weaker, you know, in a, a weaker spot there. And now the Jacksonville Jaguars capitalize on that, you know. And, um, you know, for example, Case Keenum is, you know, the Vikings not only win the division but get a first-round bye based upon the fact that the Packers were no longer a contender in the NFC North because one of the best players in the game is injured and you have to deal with Brett Hundley. I think the margin is really thin, and when some of those things start to kind of cave in, then the opportunity for sort of sub-dominant things in the NFL like defense or running game or things like that, they, they emerge to the surface. And, you know, that's why you kind of get what we've gotten so far, which is, you know, the NFC Championship game, uh, you know, three teams uh, with, with, you know, kind of, I would say, average at best quarterback situations. And, of course, the, the Patriots still have Tom Brady. So I, I'm, I entirely agree with you that um, you have two teams that 
um, are very, very talented from top to bottom, but everything kind of fell their way for the top quarterbacks to not be here, including the Vikings traveling to Philadelphia to play Nick Foles because Julio Jones couldn't grasp his hands around the football uh, at the very end of the game. Otherwise, it would have been Matt Ryan who made some great plays down the stretch. And also, uh, you can thank Steve Sarkeesian as well for dialing up a shovel pass from one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at the goal line. We have seen some remarkable coaching meltdowns, and that goes for even where the Vikings are right now. I mean, a couple of bizarre challenges by Sean Payton. Everything kind of had to align a, a total misstep by Marcus Williams, the safety, and even a wide receiver pass that was uh, thrown in there, by the way, with, with, from Sean Payton. It just, you know, it's not to say that these two teams aren't good because clearly they're very good. It's that the stars have aligned perfectly to allow two teams without Hall of Fame level quarterbacks to be where they are right now. Yeah, and even if you look at the other side of the ledger, I mean, one of the reasons the Jaguars are in the AFC Championship game is because the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, with a Hall of Fame quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, decided to, you know, do some sort of like wide run play on a fourth and one instead of a quarterback sneak. And then I can't remember if Big Ben, you know, took took credit or blame for that, but another fourth and one, they decided to run like a deep crossing pattern instead of a quarterback sneak, right? So again, it's just one of those things where you know, and not to not to say that the Jaguars or the Vikings or the Eagles didn't sort of control a lot of their outcome, but it just goes to show that a lot of what happens, a lot of the good things that happen to teams and a lot of the bad things that happen to teams are not necessarily all their control. They, people have to melt down on the other side or people have to um, you know, have you know, make big plays on the other side. Um, in order for outcomes to occur, and sometimes it just doesn't happen the way that we think it's going to happen. I think these games also show you that even with the uphill climb that some of those great quarterbacks had to make, uh, they nearly got the job done. Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, and Ben Roethlisberger, despite everything around them going wrong or their coaches trying the best to sabotage them, whoever dialed up a deep crossing pass when Ben Roethlisberger is six foot five and two hundred and fifty pounds and could easily get a few inches for a first down on a quarterback sneak, whoever dialed that up, if it's Todd Haley, he's got to go. Like I could not possibly bring that guy back after that. I mean, it's kind of like Seattle. Didn't they bring back Daryl Bevel after they did decided not to run Marshawn Lynch? I think I would never forget that, and I would have to fire the guy. Like, sorry, but I can't bring you back and put you in front of my players again after you literally made the worst decision of all time. And I think that's way, way up there, along with the wide receiver pass, which I know you are a huge fan of. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. I mean, the play was wide open, but ultimately you have to know whether or not the player on the on the very end of the play can execute, you know? So it's like uh, I, I find it similar to, like, the, the lineman touchdown pass, you know, you – it, the guy can be wide open, but if if he's if he can't catch the football, then that's also an issue. So, I mean, there was so much wrong with that play. I think you know, on first down, I think it's a cute play. On third down and medium, where you're not going to go for it on fourth, it's about as bad as it gets. And your other options on that play would be have your Hall of Fame quarterback throw to your rookie of the year or your Pro Bowl caliber running back or your Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. Or I mean, you've just got so many better options on any play than to take the ball out of the hands of Drew Brees 
when you need a third and one. So all those things came together, and then the final play, of course, to allow uh, Case Keenum and Nick Foles to be here. It's not that either team needs to apologize for it, but it's really evidence of how it can happen, especially in a league where a lot of the best teams are very close. So let's start uh, by talking about Nick Foles first, because I think, Eric, there's the sense for most people that Nick Foles is terrible that he is just this awful quarterback that can't play at all. And I don't think that that's quite the case because of something similar that we've seen here in Minnesota. He has a very good supporting cast. And looking at his numbers from the Atlanta game, you could fool me for these being Case Keenum numbers. 23 for 30, 76% completion percentage, 246 yards, only got sacked once, and had a quarterback rating of 100.1. I mean, that sounds like almost all of Case Keenum's games this year. Yep, and you know, and that's I think what's interesting is you also gotta peel back the layers and look maybe at some like that's why I think PFF grades are kind of, you know, more indicative of quarterback success in that like twenty of those yards came on a pass where Nick Foles threw it right into Keanu Neal's like leg, right? Yes. And yes, right. So so you you subtract twenty yards from that, you add an interception and then you also take away those three points that they got at the end of the half, and Atlanta's kicking a field goal at the end of the game instead of having to go for it on fourth down to, to, to win the game. Right. It's like, again, these things are so crazy, but, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I I think Nick Foles is a, is a weaker version of Case Keenum in the sense that, you know, if you put the right, you know, scheme around him, you leverage the supporting cast around him, he can – Pass, he can be passable, right? Atlanta is no slouch. They have a very fast defense, and they, you know, they have one of the best coverage linebackers in the league in Deion Jones. And you know, and he did enough, you know, with some luck, he did enough for them to win that game. Um, but yeah, there's just there's interesting things about. It. So, for example, Nick Foles this season has completed uh, three passes over 20 yards in the air. One of them was to the other team. <laughs> and so, you know, like they're very much capping sort of like what he's capable of. I mean, even sort of to continue along his sort of like luck trajectory, the biggest play in the passing game for the Eagles uh, on Saturday was a deep pass interference penalty on like the first play of the game where Foles underthrew his receiver by 10 yards in the wind, right? And so, like, we've seen that in Minnesota with Nick Foles or with uh, Case Keenum you know, just kind of throwing the ball up and letting his receivers make a play slash the defense make a mistake. And, you know, when those things can happen, you can see players like Foles and Keenum be elevated and and have some success. But, you know, I would say the Eagles have a lot more, have to do a lot more in the way of hiding Nick Foles than the Vikings do with Case Keenum, but there's a fair amount of hiding on both. So, I want you to explain to me something about Nick Foles. In 2013, he went 8 and 2, threw 27 touchdowns, two interceptions, and had a 119.2 quarterback rating. If it had been over 16 games, it would have been one of the best seasons of all time by a quarterback. How did that happen? I mean, because since then, he is 13 and 10 as a starter with a 77 quarterback rating. Yeah, I mean, I think when when they, you know, were running that, I can't remember if it was like Kean's book or, or whatever, but there was this discussion about like sort of where those yards are coming from. And I don't have the number in front of me, but, you know, if you look at our, our quarterback book, it's this idea of like an NFL throw versus a non-NFL throw. 
And, you know, with, with Nick Foles and Nick Foles in 2013, a lot of those yards are being generated on, you know, what we would consider non-NFL throws. So, you know, bubble screens, uh, you know, uh, wide receiver swing passes or uh, running back swing passes, you know, wide receiver, you know, like a, an, in, an inward breaking route that's like less than five yards on, you know, third and 10 or longer or something like that. You know, a lot of those particular plays, you know, it's not necessarily Nick Foles that's doing anything spectacular. It's sort of the supporting cast that's doing, um, you know, big things for him. And, you know, that's that's why, you know, when you, when you think about things like quarterback play, um, it's more of like sort of, I think, a team game. And I think as if you're a Vikings fan, I think you see that. And like Case Keenum's success this year, I, we all think about it. It's more of like an offensive success. And that's why, you know, uh, the offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, is getting a head coaching job, basically. So you look back on 2013, and we all remember Nick Foles. But I think what we should probably, you know, remember is that, you know, it's more like, well, Chip Kelly, Nick Foles, LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson, Zach Ertz. Uh, and I, Macklin was injured that year, but, um, you know, those Riley Cooper, that, that offense is really, you know, as a collective was super effective. And Nick Foles is just a, a, a mere component of that. Yeah. And then Chip Kelly went and made about the worst trades in the history of the entire world, getting rid of, uh, Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy. So what does Nick Foles do well? Um, well, I think he, you know, the, one of the issues that he has is he doesn't move particularly well in the pocket. But I, I do think that he, you know, he he does do pretty well with play action, um, and you know, in, in rhythm he can be effective. Uh, I think he has pretty good accuracy on you know in the shorter game, um, and so yeah, I think that that's what where he's been effective. And with Chip Kelly, you know, you had you know, particularly when they ran the ball so effectively with the Sean McCoy, you know, you had a decent amount of openings underneath. Um, and in the intermediate area, and he was able to sort of exploit those. I don't think he has the best arm uh, in the world, certainly not downfield, um, but, you know, he can be effective when, you know, sort of things are schemed so that his, you know, his receivers are, are open. Um, yeah, for anywhere, you know, that 10 to 19-yard range, he can be effective there, but very much underneath, very much putting his, uh, you know, getting the ball out of his own hands and into the hands of his playmakers. You know, I think if this was game, if this game was being played at U.S. Bank Stadium, I think we would all look at this and go, "Okay, W." I mean, there's no way that Nick Foles is going to come into U.S. Bank Stadium and beat the Minnesota Vikings defense. Going on the road cracks the door open a little bit for Foles to be good enough to somehow beat the Vikings. How much of an advantage is it? Is it one of those things that we talk about too much? Or not enough? Or, I mean, how, how big statistically do you think um, the advantages of, of a team playing at home versus on the road? Yeah, I mean, home field advantage can be anywhere from, you know, a, you know two points to three and a half, four points, depending upon, you know, whether you're talking about the L.A. Chargers or the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and so it is a big deal in terms of, you know, whether you're, when you're trying to handicap a game. Um, I think historically for the Vikings, they've really struggled not only on the road, but on grass. And we've seen that, you know, from the Jerry Burns era all the way through Mike Tice, through, you know, Childress. Like, that. I think they went an entire calendar year under Childress without winning a road game. Um, but what's really interesting, and I think that this is this plays this, as a testament to, you know, um, Mike Zimmer and the attitude that he's, that he's instilled upon the Vikings, the Vikings on the road under Zimmer have not been that, that bad. You know, mm-hmm. in, in their 
in their 2015 season, um, they had a winning record on the road for the first time since 1998. Um, not to mention the fact that in 2014 and 2015, they played in a stadium that wasn't really their own. Um, so I, I think it, it's, thinking historically about the Vikings, they've had, you know, sort of undersized defenses and they've been far better against the run at home than, than on the road. If you just think about that as kind of a quick five-minute kind of handicap of the game, you think that, okay, the Eagles do have a decided edge in terms of running downhill against the smallish defense that is really good but could be pushed around a little bit. I think that that's a little bit overblown. I think a lot of the Vikings, a lot of the, the narratives around the Vikings' defense are, are going to be you know elevated by their game against Carolina where they struggled mm-hmm. on what was essentially two plays. Um, so I think... So to sort of answer your question more concisely, I think, I think the I think that the home road thing is real. I do think that it does it, it does give you know the Eagles uh, an advantage um, more than they would otherwise have. But I don't think it's as big as you know, for example, Philadelphia fans would want you to believe. So let me switch over to Case Keenum here because he's the one that's going to have to go to Philadelphia and slide around on skates on that crappy field and try to play quarterback. Now the the way that I would put. Sunday's game is that it made everyone feel like they were right about Case Keenum. If you were concerned about Case Keenum throwing a big interception in a playoff game that lost it for you against the Hall of Fame quarterback, well, you were right because he threw one of the worst interceptions you could ever throw. There was no justification whatsoever for launching a ball up just into the secondary when he couldn't even see a receiver because he's getting hit. And yet that's the one that we talked about a bunch. That was his biggest weakness is even though he makes some great plays on the move or when improvising, he also has those big mistakes as well. So you're, you're right about that. And he was inaccurate at times in that game as well. But then at the end, he ends up hitting a big throw to Jerry's right. He also of course throws the ball up and Stefan Diggs makes an incredible play. So he had a little bit of magic to him that has just been riding with him for this entire season. If we pull back a little bit and look at the bigger picture on Case Keenum, how confident should Vikings fans be in your mind, Eric, when they go to play the Eagles? The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Right, and the the... The other thing, the other thing about Keenum that that made us, I think, those that are a little bit more skeptical of him, is also this idea that his supporting cast can elevate him above his his like sort of baseline play, and that was a hundred percent. Oh correct. yes, oh yes. About, from from like you know the the Adam Thielen like that amazing catch that Adam Thielen made to set up the, the first winning field goal, I guess, um, to obviously what Stephon Diggs did to keep his balance and stay in bounds. Um, those things are also part of the skepticism on Keenum in that if that falls apart, the Vikings offense would probably really struggle. But uh, I would say, you know, the the issue Sunday is going to be the pass rush of the Eagles. The Vikings really struggled up front um, against against the Saints. And when they did struggle to protect Keenum, his passer rating under pressure was like 5.1, which is quite bad. Out of um, 158.3, so, yes, that's bad. <laughs> right with a mean of like 90 right so he, yeah that's not good and at the same time his passer rating when clean was about 110 which is about exactly where he's been all season so you know 
I think what we saw is kind of the floor with Keenum under pressure against the Saints. So we should see that kind of creep up more towards his average on the season, which is about a 74 passer rating under pressure, which is middle of the pack. Um, but on Sunday, you know, they, they do need to do a better job of just putting him in position to not have to face pressure, to put him in position to get the ball out of his hand. You know, where, where we see Keenum make the, make the biggest mistakes is when, um, you know, when he has to deal – uh, get outside the pocket and and make you know throws that you know are out of structure. Uh, for example, there was another throw that we graded poorly, which was um, which was when uh, the Vikings were setting up that four bass field goal at the end. He threw in a double coverage to Kyle Rudolph um, when you know uh, maybe a more savvy quarterback would know. Okay, I'm in decent field goal range right now. I do not put the ball in harm's way. Um, that kind of thing. So when I look at Sunday. The Vikings have a decided edge on the outside against the Eagles cornerbacks um, who aren't bad, but they're not nearly as good as the two elite receivers the Vikings have. Up front, the Eagles have a decided advantage against the Vikings, both in the run game and rushing the passer. So I think, you know, a lot of quick rhythm stuff, a lot of, you know, trying to leverage what Keenum does the best um, is going to, you know, probably put the Vikings in the best position possible. It's really interesting to me that Keenum's best plays and worst plays seem to come outside of the pocket a lot of times, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. I, I don't ever want to make a Keenum-Favre comparison because Favre had so many more of those hit than went wrong, but the few that went wrong are super memorable. Uh, so if if you're saying like what his percentage was for those, it would be way higher uh, as far as being a gunslinger, but... You know, Keenum makes the play outside the pocket where he takes 10 seconds to throw the ball and finally finds Stephon Diggs, and, and that's that's a really nice play. It sets up a field goal, but you might have preferred that they went for it on fourth down there. Um, but then at the same time, like you said, he'll occasionally, uh, the Washington game drove Mike Zimmer insane. He'll occasionally go off script and then try to make a throw that he's either not capable of throwing or just wasn't good. And that, that play with Rudolph... It, that's one that we'll just never remember because of how that game ended up coming to an end. Yep, and I think if you're Zimmer, right, you, you've constructed a team where you can really rely on your defense, and especially this season when all 11 starters are healthy um, going into the NFC Championship game. That's sort of unheard of. You've constructed a roster where the things that you know, you know are good, and all you want to do is to limit variance in the things that you're not quite sure of, right? So Case Keenum being a, a thing that, you know, we've talked about it. You guys have talked about it on the radio, right? Like, they, he, Zimmer will never commit verbally to Keenum, it seems like. And I think it's because he he has a, probably a similar skeptical opinion of him. And and so if you're, it's got to drive Mike Zimmer crazy. Not only the the plays that the poor plays he makes out of the pocket, out of structure, but also the the bad ones. You know, the the good ones too. They they kind of it's like, oh yeah, okay. So he hit Diggs at the five yard line on this like crazy play, but I would have rather him throw the ball away so I kind of know um, that that he's not going to turn the ball over in a in a key spot. But there's so much unknown with Keenum once you know the the play breaks down. I think it's got to drive Mike Zimmer crazy. Which is why I think you see a lot. For example, I know you know a lot of Vikings fans and people that you know that follow the team were irritated a little bit at the Vikings' running game in the second half. Kind of, well, you know, they're dumping expected points by handing the ball to Latavius Murray on first and second down. 
And while I agree with that, that's not an effective way to move the football. I think all all what all it's doing is kind of saying, okay, there's a big unknown every time Keenum drops back. We're trying to limit that as much as possible and let our defense, which is the best in the league, finish this game off for us. And unfortunately for them, it it didn't quite work out that way. But um, that's I think I think a sound strategy against a team like the Eagles, for example, moving forward. Real quick before we move on here with the conversation, just want to take a second to let our listeners know about the Purple Podcast Big Game Special Edition powered by Sprint. Judd and I will be talking about all things associated with the big game, and we thank Sprint for their partnership of the special edition podcast that's uh, coming up during a big game week with me and Judd. To learn more about how you can get Sprint's incredible unlimited plan that includes Hulu, visit a local Sprint store today. Sprint works for me. Now, Eric, uh, we talked about the supporting cast and Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. Uh, what kind of matchup are they looking at in the secondary here? Because, it, I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit there, but I see it as a huge advantage for them that Philadelphia, everything they do that's good starts with the front seven guys. They've got the two very fast linebackers. But on those outsides, if it's not windy that day and they could throw the ball down the field, it seems like that's got big plays written all over it for, for Thielen and Diggs. Yep, that, that's very much the case. I think, you know, on the inside, Patrick Robinson's had a pretty good year in the slot. And so, you know, that that's one thing where I think that it's just sort of sneaky good for the Eagles. Malcolm Jenkins is a very good safety. Um, but on the outside with, with uh, Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby, Jalen Mills in one game against the Giants this year was targeted like 24 times. And, and you know, so it's like their teams are clearly not afraid of going after him. That being said, he's held his own at times. Like the, he made a, a pretty decent play against Julio Jones a few times uh, last week against Atlanta. Um, Ronald Darby is a good cornerback, but again, like we're talking about elite level talent for the Vikings at receiver. So, um, you know, there there are going to be some plays to ha- to have there uh, for Keenum and and the Vikings as long as they can protect him and and put those players out on routes. I'm, it, it's going to be a big game. I also think for you know. The, the secondary players. I think Kyle Rudolph's going to have to have a good game um, kind of over the middle of the field, even against those athletic linebackers. I think he's going to have to have more than the 20-something yards he had uh, against uh, the Saints. And it looks like, I think, it looks like they've committed to Jarius Wright as their third receiver finally. And I think, you know, for him, he's going to have to make a play or two, um, you know, in his sort of vintage fashion on, you know, a third medium um, for the Vikings to have some success. But, yeah, that's really the place. I think wide receiver, um, against outside corner where the, the Vikings have, you know, an advantage on that side of football. Yeah, finally is right because how, – how do you like that pun? Um, be, because Jarius Wright is now decidedly better than Laquan Treadwell. They gave Treadwell every chance to make some sort of impact this year, and he basically made one really cool one-handed catch, and that was it. And then he drew a defensive pass interference on a ball that was nowhere close to him uh, in that game. But but Jarius Wright gets open much more, comes through in big situations, has really good hands, can run routes, he's experienced, he's a smart wide receiver. He's not a guy that you want in there every single play, but much more than Laquan Treadwell going forward. Um, the last thing for you, Eric, and I save this until last because I don't want to read my mentions after we talk about it, especially coming off what just happened. But does Case Keenum's performance in that playoff game and winning that playoff game, does it 
make any difference in the analysis that the Vikings will do this offseason on their 2018 quarterback? I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think it – I think he made enough decent plays against the Saints where it doesn't necessarily hurt him, although he made some bad plays against the Saints. But I don't think it, it, I don't think it moves the needle for him much at all, um, especially, you know – given what his price tag is going to be. I think he's played his way out of a reasonable starting quarterback salary already. And I, yeah, I don't think so. I think, I think it firmly puts him in Vikings history, obviously, you know, this special season, a very special game. I think people will remember him, you know, for how gracious he was in, in how he handled the the Bridgewater situation, all that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, in terms of, what appears to be a very rational head coach with a very pragmatic, you know, GM, I think, I think it doesn't do much of anything to move the needle in terms of them committing to Case Keenum uh, for 2018 and beyond. So, Eric, now tell me what the numbers tell you about who wins this sports ball game. Yeah, so we, we actually uh, put, the, um, we put these out on P- uh, profootballfocus.com. Uh, as I think people would expect, the New England Patriots are a decided favorite, uh, more than 50% uh, to win the, you know, to, to win it all. Uh, I think one of the things that has obviously worked in their favor is the is the two strongest teams in the in the AFC, with the Chiefs and the, and the Steelers have um, uh, have bowed out already. In terms of the NFC Championship game, uh, we actually like the Vikings quite a bit, as I think the market does with them as three three and a half point favorites. Um, even being on the road, I, I still think it's a you know uh, a Vikings probably two to one uh, advantage over the Eagles just because I think their defense is slightly better and their offense uh, at the quarterback position. As much as we've dogged on on Keenum at times, uh, Keenum has a decided edge at the quarterback position over Foles. So the Vikings have a better defense and a better quarterback. So yeah. I think that that will push them that will push them uh, into the win column, even playing in a tough tough environment. Now, would you like to offer some pub for the PFF quarterback thing, book, catalog? What do you call it? Yeah, so the, the PFF quarterback annual. Annual, last sorry. Annual. Yeah, it's okay. Gets me every uh, was time. was released last week, and um, it's a part of, I think, our, our uh, PFF Elite subscription, PFF Edge. I think it's PFF Edge subscription. Um, and you get a lot of stuff, and, and the quarterback annual is just a, just a part of that. Um, it's 300 pages, uh, one page uh, for each quarter, or it's actually five pages for each quarterback, you know, looking at sort of the routes he threw, the receivers he threw to, um, you know, what his sort of like statistical profile in different settings was. And then there's a few like sort of articles that, that uh, myself and colleagues have written in there about like sort of contextualizing uh, quarterback play. So we – Matthew and I just talked about, um, you know, quarterback success under pressure versus clean, right? And so one of those is, is a lot more stable than the other. And so when we we talk about things, you know, talk about how a quarterback performed under pressure, that's sort of more explanatory, whereas how a quarterback does when kept clean is sort of more predictive. And, you know, and this is sort of our first attempt at taking our data and just kind of, uh, you know, throwing it out there and making, you know, making more sense of it, trying to disseminate more, you know, give give our, our, our followers, um, you know, and, and readers a, a, a little bit more uh, of the PFF database and sort of what it can tell you and, 
uh, hope you, hopefully you all like it. Yeah, well, a really, really detailed uh, book or annual or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> tons of stats that I use in my writing. I, I did a big piece about Case Keenum, and I used a bunch of numbers from here. Really fascinating stuff. So, Eric, thank you for uh, the conversation. And uh, maybe in a couple weeks, if there's a matchup with, say, Tom Brady, we could break down that one. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. All right, Eric. Thank you, and thank you all for listening to another episode of the Purple Podcast. We'll have them coming all week. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.